by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Good morning. Something's taking place at the Passion Church. When we give our all in worship, we have we'll lack no good thing when we give our all of our heart it opens the windows of heaven and we'll lack no good thing do you do you want the weight of his glory to fall upon you do you want the life of his river to flow through your life do you want are you interested in the truth of god's kingdom can you say let the weight of your glory fall Are you scared of the glory? How many of you really want it? Don't raise your hand. How many of you really want God's glory in your life? Somebody's saying, I, I didn't sign up for all this, man. I don't know what that just was. I didn't sign up for all that. I just came to come to church. You know, can you get me out of here on time? Some of y'all don't know what we're talking about. And just sit there patiently and we'll get you out before noon, okay? You're not going to understand what we're talking about today. But some of you really want the glory of God. We're going to talk about how to have the glory of God in your life. You see, the Israelites, they just wanted Moses to tell them about the glory of God. They said, Moses, you go talk to God and you tell us, what he says. That's sort of like the churches today. Well, I'm not going to read the word for myself. I'm just going to hear what the pastor said God said. And that's enough for me. They weren't willing to climb the mountain. They weren't willing to lay it all out. They weren't willing to go receive the glory of God like Moses. Moses came down to face with his face shining, didn't he? Amen. Today's message is entitled, Unveiled Glory. Because I see two veils in the Bible. I see one veil that Moses put on his face because he had been up on the mountain talking to God, and the glory of God had rubbed off on him. And he had come down the mountain, and the people were like, ooh, that's too much. We're not ready. We're scared of the glory of God. We just want churches normal down here in the valley. We want to do what we understand in our natural strength. We don't want any of that supernatural stuff. We don't want the glory. Put a veil on. We can't even look at you, Moses. And then there was the, the veil that separated the, the outer courts of the temple from the holy of holies. Behind that veil was the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God on the earth. And it separated a holy God from the sinful man. Huh. 
It's a good thing that it did. <laughs> because under the old covenant, Moses' face warned the people that God is holy and shouldn't be approached. That sin could be zapped like a bug zapper in the presence of a holy God. That you couldn't go behind the curtain carrying this sin debt. But praise God when my Lord Jesus was on that cross and he said it is finished and he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. When he said it is finished, that veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. Like God himself reached down and said, no more separation between me and my people. I will be their God and they will be my people. I will be with them and I will be in them. And he tore that, temple, that veil in the temple. And now we can come boldly before the throne of grace in our time of need. We say hallelujah. And amen. But God ain't looking for a holy token people. He's looking for a holy walking people. Praise God, I'm telling you. We can come boldly before the God's glory because a new glorious covenant has begun. It's not like the old covenant. We can get as close to God as we want to now. We can soak up as much glory as this physical body and this spirit of ours can stand. We can be carriers of God's glory. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 7. Am I scaring anybody? I think sometimes we need to be scared. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Second Corinthians 3 verse 7 says the old way with laws etched in stone. You know, when he came down, his face was glowing. He had those two stone tablets etched with the finger of God, the Ten Commandments on it. The old way with the laws etched in stone led to death. Why? Because the law showed us that we were sinful and that we were dead in our sins and trespasses. Though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face. For his face shone with the glory of God. Why? Because he had been seeing God face to face. You say no man has seen God at any time. Not God in his in his fullness of his glory in the spirit but he had been seeing maybe the pre-incarnate of jesus on the mountaintop looking at him face to face and he came down so that his face was glowing because he had seen the face of god and even though the brightness was already fading away shouldn't we expect far greater glory say greater glory under the new way under the new covenant now that the Holy Spirit is giving life, we're no longer dead in our sins and trespasses, but we're alive unto God. We're under a new covenant with greater, far greater glory. If the old way which brings condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way which makes us right with God? In fact, that first glorious was not glorious at all when compared with the overwhelming glory. The overwhelming glory of the new way. So if the old way, which was, has been replaced, was glorious, 
how much more glorious is the new which remains forever. Hallelujah. So we're saved people if we've made Jesus Lord of our life. The sin debt has been paid for for us. We're right with God. We can come before the, the throne of grace and receive his glory. And be like cities on a hill, bright and shining for the world to see. But why don't we? Well, I think Hebrews 12, 14 gives us a clue. It says, work at living in peace with everyone. And work. We don't like that word, work, do we? And work at living a holy life. Say a holy life. Probably most of you are saying, I can't be holy. I know me. We think of holy as, as perfection. And we know that we fall very short of that, right? So how do I live a holy life? Well, holy for God means, yeah, God is holy in a perfect way. But the word holy also means to be set apart. It doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect. No, we still live in the flesh. But you say, God, I set myself apart from the world. I set my part, my heart apart for you. And so you desire to be set apart from the darkness. You desire to have the glory of God in your life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. He won't force his glory on you. You see what I'm saying? If you desire to be set apart, I think that maybe we're not holy because we're not holy. You say, what'd you, what'd you say, Pastor? What you talking about, Willis? <laughs> we're not H-O-L-Y because we're not W-H-O-L-L-Y. We're not wholly sold out. We're not set apart. We want some of God on Sunday, but we want a lot of the world during the week. And we will think that we're going to walk around shining as lights for Jesus. That would be false advertisement. <clears throat> you know the story of David and Bathsheba, right? Let's turn to 2 Samuel's 11. David was known as a man after God's own heart, right? After you hear this story, you're going to say, how's that? <laughs> if David could be a man after God's own heart, I can be too. Huh? 2 Samuel 11 verse 1 says, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war. Now David is a king. He's a good king. He's a king after God's own heart. He's been a king a long time. But David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army, and they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. Well, David's not doing his kingship duties, is he? David's been king so long that he's kind of got the big head. Oh, I used to knock on doors. I used to 
I used to win kingdom business for God. I used to tell people about Jesus. And we, we can tell you all the times that we used to do something for God. But now we stand home in Jerusalem while others are going out advancing the kingdom. Woo, I'm having to preach it myself right now, okay? Come on now. I hope you understand that when I preach this to you, man, it really, I have to agonize with this all week because I'm, I'm a human like you are. I had to deal with me. I, I'm like, Lord, what am I doing preaching this? Ain't there somebody more qualified? <laughs> but David's supposed to be out doing kingly stuff. You said, I'm a king and a priest in my home. Well, are you acting like a king and a priest and doing kingly stuff? Are you going out to battle when you're supposed to go out to battle? But David remained in Jerusalem. He then got a little... What do you call it? He done cooled off a little bit, ain't he? Maybe a little lukewarm here because it says one evening David got up out of bed. How many of you think it's right that you sleep all until the evening and get up out of bed? Man, he's starting to get a little big head, ain't he? And he walked around on the roof of his palace. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing. I guess, you know, living in the palace, his palace probably set up higher than all the other roofs. He can look down in the city. He ain't got no business being at home. He's supposed to be doing what kings do. He ain't got no business sleeping till noon. He's going to become idle. What do they say about idleness? It's the devil's workshop. And I believe that may be true. It ain't in the Bible, but I, I believe it may be true. And now he done spotted a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. How many of you know at your weak moment when you think you got it all figured out and you're feeling all good about yourself, that's when the devil is going to tempt you. And David sent someone to find out about her. What should he have done at that point? If he saw that, he should have. Fleed. <laughs> Is that a word, fleed? <laughs> he should have flown, boy. I mean, <laughs> it says flee sexual immorality. Don't pet it. But he's looking. Oh. Oh. Come here. Who is that? Go find out who that is. Oh, he done made a mistake. He didn't begin to. To act on his thoughts. You know, every action that's ever been committed first started as a thought. You know, thoughts come. The devil shoots fiery darts at our mind. But we have an obligation to think on these things, the Lord. Think on good things. To put up that shield of armor and block those fiery darts. We don't think on those things. We don't allow the devil a playground in our mind. But here he doesn't look. And he doesn't look too long. And now he's already beginning to act on the devil's temptation. David sent someone out to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam. You know when you're looking at pornography, men, you're looking at somebody's daughter? Might be your daughter one day. And the wife of Uriah the Hittite. This woman is married. 
Then David sent messengers to get her. He's putting himself in a bind now. She came to him. Now he done slept with her. It says now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanliness. And then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. Say, uh-oh. <laughs> what do you do now? You know your sin will find you out. You know your sin is coming back to you. You know the wages of sin is death. It's never going to be, you're never going to sin and be blessed because of it. So what's David's solution? He should have repented right there. He should have got it under the blood. He should have admitted it. He should have went to those he wronged. But instead, sin is never satisfied. It's pulling you deeper. Ever pulling you deeper. You start with just a harmless look. You say, don't bother nobody. I've heard so many guys say, it don't bother anything to look. They wouldn't be so beautiful if God didn't want us to look at them. But what about that beautiful one you got at home called your wife? So David, he said, I'll tell you what, I'll just send to get Uriah to come back from the front where he's fighting, where he's out doing God's business. We'll just bring him back, and I'll get him to sleep with his wife, and he'll think it's his. We'll cover it up. We'll cover up the sin. And so he does. He, he sends for Uriah, and Uriah comes to the palace, and he eats a meal with him. He says, hey, buddy, what's going on at the, you know, he acts like he cares about what's going on out there. Uh, fighting, and he tells him whatever, and they eat a meal, and he said, well, go home and be with your wife and enjoy yourself, thinking surely he would. And the next morning, David wakes up and finds out that Uriah slept at the, the foot of the, at the palace gate. He brings him in and says, Uriah, why didn't you go home? Far from it, Lord, that I should go home and, and be with my wife in the comfort of my home while others, my men are out there on the field risking their life for the kingdom. You talk about a man of integrity. That's the kind of man David had been before he let himself grow cold. David gets him drunk. So surely he'll, he'll go home after he gets drunk. Next morning, he's out there at, at the palace gate again. David shakes his head and he writes a note. He calls Uriah up and says, here, he folds the note and gives it to Uriah. Says, Uriah, go give this to the general Joab. On the note, David has written, send Uriah to the front lines and then draw back and let him be killed. Uriah delivers his own death sentence to the general, and he does so without even looking at it because he is a man of integrity. And Joab does it. What his commander says and sends Uriah and a group to the front lines at the fierce part of the battle. And then he withdraws and leaves them there to be killed. And not only Uriah died in this, but several of his men died as well. Making David a mass murderer. And it all started with a glance. That should have been dealt with right there.
They sent a note back and said, yeah, it's done, David. David thinks, well, at least nobody knows about my sin. Nobody knows. Does that make us feel better? Well, David is going along and he gets a knock on the door and it's Nathan, the priest. And the priest comes in and says, David, can I tell you a story? And David says, sure, go ahead. You know, he's not feeling guilty or anything because his stuff is covered up, right? Nathan says there was a rich man and there was a poor man. And the rich man had many flocks and had everything he could desire. But the poor man, he only had this one little lamb. And he had raised it since it was born. And he fed it from his table and carried it in his arms and treated it like one of his own sons or, or daughters, like one of his own children. And Nathan said, then the rich man invited a guy over for supper. Instead of taking one of the lambs out of his flock, he went and stole the, the poor man's only lamb and fed it to his guest. And David's over there fuming. <laughs> He's, Where's this guy at? I'll get him. I'll show him justice. This is horrible. Why would he do that? And Nathan said, you're the man. You're married, David. You already have a wife. Why would you go and steal somebody else's wife and, and have them killed? You know, not many preachers today will address sin and holiness. Why? Because it's hard. I've been preaching so hard lately, I feel, I mean, it's hard on me to preach so hard. But I told you last week, I do it because I love you and I have to preach what the Lord gave me. Woe unto me if I don't preach what God gives me to preach. Because he loves you. And we talked about we're at the end here, people. We got to get right before the Lord comes back. We have to confront sin. But many people won't preach sin. Why? Because they want to be liked by the people or they're afraid the people will leave. Because the people are out there saying, I, don't, I ain't standing for this. I'm not coming to get my toes stepped on anymore. I'll just go somewhere else. I'll find me a, a preacher that will preach to my itching ears and tell me what I want to hear. But the Apostle Paul told us the truth in Ephesians 5.5. 5, he says, for this you know that no fornicator, that's a person that's having sex outside of marriage, David was an adulterer because he's having sex with someone other than his wife, having sex with another person's wife. For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. That's bad. We all want an inheritance in the kingdom of God. We want God's blessing in our life, but you're not going to inherit blessing through through sin. God blesses the obedient. Do we not want what Jesus wants? Jesus has a better way for us all. He prayed in John 17, to the Father. He says, I have given them the glory you gave me. He's talking about his disciples. You see, Jesus wants to give his glory to you. 
He wants you to walk in the fullness of his glory. I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one, Father. He wants us to all be one together in goodness and righteousness and truth. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. So you need the glory of God in your life. You say, I don't even know. What is this? That's church talk. I don't even know what glory is. I looked up the word glory there that Jesus mentioned. It's the Greek word doxa, D-O-X-A. And it means things like goodness, honor, dignity, grace, and excellence. And when describing God, you might add these as well. Majesty, preeminence. For God, it means absolute perfection, to be exalted, praised, his splendor. When the glory of God comes in, it's overwhelming. You say, Pastor, I I thought it said in the Bible somewhere that God said, I'll share my glory with no man. He did say that. And I wrote this, and we, when walking in the flesh, clearly cannot be partakers of God's glory. But in so much that we are carriers of the Holy Spirit, we're not mere mortals anymore. We're new creations in Christ Jesus. When we are carriers of the Holy Spirit, when we walk in the Spirit, we may be reflectors of God's glory. However, keep in mind, people do not see this glory and glorify us. They see the Lord in us and glorify Him. The glory is not, He will not share it if you, it's to raise attention to yourself. The glory is to for you to be a reflector of his glory, to, to cause people to glorify him. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, For God who said, Let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so that we can know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. Where do we get the glory? Spending time seeking Jesus' face. Moses was up on the mountain looking in Jesus' face. That's why he had glory covering him. The glory is found in the relationship, the closeness, the proximity of Jesus in the face of Jesus. Not just seeking his hand, but seeking his face. And now, we now have this light shining in our hearts. But we ourselves are fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. We're still in these little earth suits. But this makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. I often use the sun and the moon as an example of what I'm trying to get across. And it's the best example I can think of. That the sun is radiant. It is glory. It's unapproachable. And the moon is just a dark rock. And the sun is like Jesus, and we're like the moon. 
And we have no light of our own. But in this darkness, this present darkness in which we live, if we'll turn our face to the sun, we will reflect the glory of God in this night in which we live. Sin, however, is a stain. It's like mud on your reflector. You got a mirror that's reflecting the glory of God. We're mirrors. But sin is just like slapping mud on our mirror and and it's not reflecting, it's not bouncing off. We must walk holy, not just talk holy. Keep our mirrors clean, free from sin, from the weights and the burdens and the cares and everything that keeps us from turning our face to the face of Christ. What would happen if we all pursued the Lord together? I have no doubt, I have no doubt in my mind that if we were to come in here this morning prepared to truly worship and everyone give everything that they have, I feel like I gave as much as I could give this morning. My voice was about to go out. I couldn't hit my notes anymore. I didn't care. You see what I'm saying? I didn't care. It's in your crazy praise that God sees your heart. If we would have all came in here this morning and joined in with a crazy praise, I believe these walls would begin to shake with the glory of God. I believe when they were in that upper room and they were praying and they were in unity, nothing could stop them. They walked out of those walls and 3,000 came to the Lord that day. We've been sitting back here for years. When are we going to be hungry for the glory? It's more than talk. It's more than talk. Are you willing to be made a fool for Christ? Are you willing to lay it all out? You know, there's times in the past we see in the Bible where the temple got filled with the glory of God. In Exodus 40, verse 34, after Moses finished the tabernacle, it says, Then the cloud covered the tabernacle, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Ezekiel had a vision in Ezekiel 43, 5 about what would happen if God's people were to truly repent. And it says, the Spirit took me up and brought me into the inner courtyard, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. That's what would happen if we would, from our heart, repent and set ourselves apart to live holy for God. And in Solomon's temple in 2 Chronicles 5, 14, the priests could not continue their service because of the cloud. Wouldn't it be wonderful? We have experienced that here before where the the minister could not even get his words out because of the glory of God. We've sat here for hours in silence before because of the glory of God because nobody could speak. If he did it before, how much more will he do it now? The priest could not continue the service because of the cloud for the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple of God. Did you come here to meet with me today? Please tell me you didn't. I mean, it's a benefit that we get to talk and everything, but didn't you come here to meet with God? Well, why would you be satisfied with a little God? 
If the building is not shaken with the glory of God, then why don't we, we seek him harder? Moses met with God in the tabernacle. He would wear his veil in the, in the camp because the people didn't want to see it. But when he would go into the tabernacle, he'd take that veil off and he would meet with, the, with God face to face. And in Exodus thirty three eleven, it says, Inside the tent of meeting, that's the tabernacle, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And afterwards... Moses would return to the camp, but the young man who assisted him, Joshua, son of Nun, would remain behind in the tent of meeting. I think Joshua was a Jesus junkie. Even Moses, after meeting God face to face, he would go back to the camp, but Joshua said, I'm just going to stay here. I'm just going to stay here. Have you ever stayed late after the service said, I just got to go to the altar? I remember times when I was first born again, and, I, and, and there's times when I do so today that I'll come in here, and I was just about to leave the other night when I finished this message. And I was fixing it, and I had, to, I had the alarm set. You understand? I don't know why I'm telling you this, but I had the alarm set. Deep, deep, and I was leaving, and I said, no, I can't leave. And I went back and turned off the alarm, and I just had to come up here and pray a little bit longer. I had to get a little bit more. Joshua would stay even longer than Moses. And who do you think it was that brought him into the promised land? It was Joshua. Are you bringing your children into the promised land? Are you bringing your co-workers into the promised land? Are they seeing the glory of God on your life? Man, I tell you, yesterday at the men's meeting, I could see the glory of God all over that man right there, Mr. Joe Madison. He took that microphone and it's just shining through him. Where he is is revival. Brother Rick took the microphone. They're spending time with God. It's obvious. I can tell who's spending time with God. Rick and Joshua Smith are coming to my house uh, working a job. And they get me together in the morning to pray with them. And the glory of God fills the day before they even start work. And they crank the radio up on Christian music. That's the kind of thing that we must hunger and thirst after righteousness. Then we'll be filled. You can tell who's been spending time with God. And your children can tell if you're just telling them to go to church, but you ain't going. They can tell that you, you, you don't really believe what you say you believe if you don't believe it. Darkness will never overcome darkness. You can't live in the dark and win your children to the Lord. I got a person I know that says they have a heart for the downtrodden, the, the drug addicted, and the alcoholics. And, man, their heart really burns for them. And it's, it said, he says, I go in there and I, win them to, I, tr I tell them about Jesus. But what he neglects to tell you is he's in there drinking with them. He's a he's full-blown drug addict. And you ask him, he's doing the Lord's work. But I know of not one drug addict that he's brought out of it. He may tell them about Jesus, 
but they're not following the darkness out of the darkness. You got to come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. You say, but I don't want to leave my friends behind. You want to know how I won my friends to the Lord? How I won my family to the Lord? When I got saved, I got saved, saved. And I stopped running to the same sins that I used to run to before. And they were perplexed and they laughed at me. And then they stopped being my friend for a while. But I said, that's okay. I got a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And I began to serve the Lord with my whole heart. And then when their lives began to fall apart, because sin always falls apart, then they knew who to call for prayer. Then it wasn't so funny anymore that I was serving the Lord. Before long, they're like, how do I, how do I get... This Jesus that you got, because your life is blessed and mine's still down here in the ditch. And I was able to lead many of my friends to the Lord because I came out from among them. And I lived in the light and not in the darkness. And I let the glory of the Lord shine. So what factors and people and practices are bringing darkness into your life? I want you, that's your homework for today. Think about the people, the factors, and the practices that you're doing, whether it's your social media accounts bringing darkness to your eyes, because if your eye be dark, your whole body will be dark. Whether it's uh, flirting with somebody that's not your spouse at work, whether it's cheating on your taxes, whether it's not doing your best at your job that you're getting paid to do and stealing from your boss. What are the factors that are bringing darkness into your life? Write them down and then pray to God. To change me, Lord. Give me the power to overcome sin. And he will. And I told you last week, as we see that day approaching, don't despair, prepare. God will cover your sins. He'll throw them into the sea of forgetfulness. And he'll remember them no more. You can start afresh right here today. You don't have to leave here under condemnation. The preacher says, I'm in sin, and I feel really bad, and I can't have the glory of God. I'm telling you the exact opposite. You can repent and have all of it and a fresh start. You can. I'm telling you good news. I'm not here to bring condemnation. There's therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus who walk after the Spirit. And I'm telling you, you can... Turn your direction. Repent means I'm going this way, but I'm going to go this way now. I'm going to go a different direction. You can seek after the glory of God, the face of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. We long to be with him. We will become like him. In Psalms 51, in my Bible, the header says this. A prayer of repentance to the chief musician, a psalm of David. This is a psalm that King David wrote. When Nathan the prophet came to him and after he had gone in to Bathsheba. So this is what David wrote down, the psalm that he wrote after this event that we have described here today. In Psalms 51.10, he says, Create in me a clean heart. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Maybe you once had a clean heart. Maybe you were more loyal than you, than you are today at one time.
David certainly was. But David was a man after God's own heart because he knew when to repent. He stopped running from God a long time ago. And if he, he recognized his sin, if a priest or a preacher told him about his sin and confronted him with it, instead of running and denying, he would run to the altar and repent. And he was not a perfect man, but he was a man after God's own heart. None of us are perfect, but we can all be after God's own heart. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a law spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence. And don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. See, we even need him for that. We can't obey him without him. Then I will teach your ways to rebels and I will return to you. We'll close with this. 2 Corinthians 3.16 says, when everyone, when, Whenever someone turns to the Lord, we're all capable of turning to the Lord, right? Whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit. And whenever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom from what? Freedom from sin. Freedom from bondage. So all of us who have had that veil removed, and all of us can have that veil removed, when you turn to the Lord, all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. You can do it. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. And people no longer see you, but they see Christ in you. That is the life of a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become what? So let your glory cover us. Let the life of your river flow. Let the truth of your kingdom reign in me. Let the weight of your glory fall. Amen? Amen? Amen. We can all do this. That's the good news. That we can be glory carriers. We can see the face of Jesus Christ. He says, if you seek for me with your whole heart, you'll find me. If anybody needs to repent of lukewarmness, some of us have been serving the Lord quite a long time now, and this is a marathon. Sometimes we get our eyes off the prize, don't we? We get consumed with things of this world, with work and responsibilities, and, and, and we, we just simply need to say, God, I want to put you back first in my life. Some of us have been like David, and we have glanced at things that turned into all-out looks that turned into actions, and we have sinned against the Lord. We need to repent. We simply say, I'm sorry, God. And we turn from those wicked ways and put our eyes back on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. If you'd play some music, Brother Rickard, Rick, Rickard, Brother Rickard, you play some music I'm, I'm going to open up the altars to close the service look if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior then come up here 
and say, I'm sorry for my sins. Be the Lord of my life. If you're here and you know Jesus, but, but there's areas of your life that you want to turn over to him and you want to go whole, holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, for Jesus. Come to the altar. And then let's come back next Sunday with a greater expectation. And let's see these walls shake. I'm going to be the first one to the altar. I'm beating Joe this time. to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.